This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today and Food for the Hungry, I bring you a podcast that will hopefully get you better at the craft of preaching and teaching and communicating while always hoping that your character leads the way. Well, I'm excited because today I get to interview a friend, um, someone I've worked with, someone who in many ways had a little Instagram account. And then overnight I looked at it and it went from like 500 followers to 20,000 followers. I mean, and, and rightfully so. Um, Meredith Miller, uh, she and her husband, uh, Curtis lead Pomona Valley Church. It's this church on Zoom. Um, and I love, I love like their kind of mantra. They want to live the one another's neighbor well, do justice and eat. And I just love that. I think it's fantastic. For five years, she was the curriculum director for the children's ministry at Willow Creek Community Church, um, where I was at. And so we got to work together. And I just think the world of her. Um, she's also been involved with the work of um, FYI, the, which is the Fuller Youth Institute. But most importantly, I, I want you to know that um, she has this, this book coming out, and it's called Woven. And she, her takes on kids and faith and resiliency, um, she has been helping me and helping so many. This is why I think her Instagram account has just exploded overnight, is because she is helping so many of us understand how to not teach our kids like do's and don'ts and just obedience, and but how to actually help shape a and weave together a much richer and deeper faith. And so I'm excited because every senior pastor, I think if you're really, really honest, this is something you push to the side. And if we say that the kids are the future of our church, um, we have to be really, really intentional with what is being shaped and formed in the lives and the minds and the hearts and the souls of these kids. And this is why uh, for me, this is an important conversation. So uh, without further ado, Meredith Miller, welcome to the Craft and Character Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Oh my goodness. I, I You know, this is this has been like one of those conversations, you know, we, we've chopped, we've been in different environments, you know, um, over the years together, but it's been like really, really fun to see your voice um, and your knowledge and your wisdom just like really catching on. And, and again, um, you, you should like go and just follow her. It's like at Meredith Ann Miller, right? Is that, is yeah, that the just handle? Mine. That's yep. it. Meredith Ann Miller. And, and, and seriously, she, for, for many of us who have been like preaching and teaching, you're like, oh, that's not just for kids. That's like, that's, that's my adults need this. Um, what has surprised you with kind of this Instagram, um, community family that has just been like drawn to what you've been dropping? Oh, it's been so much fun. Um, and that's all very kind of you to say. I have been surprised and pleasantly so how many people are saying just that of this is about my kids and it's about me. 
It's about me untangling misunderstandings of who God is. And when I come to know God in a different way, then I feel more confident introducing my kid to God. And so much of that theological untangling is even those adults looking back on first impressions they had of God, first stories they were told about God, and then those sort of stuck without being able to be interrogated. And now because of a child in their life, whether they're the parent or an auntie or a you know part of the family, like they're revisiting the quality of their theology. And because they don't want their kids to inherit the baggage. They want to sift the good from the bad. And it's been really fun to realize how many adults are interested in doing some theological exploration. They're not just looking for pat answers to tell their six-year-old. They want quality theology, and they're willing to do some work to get to it. And that's so much more fun than just like, oh, give them this coloring page, learn this memory verse. Like, that's not what we're doing. And it's been really cool. Well, and, and you've, you have a master's of divinity at Fuller. I mean, you, you have been just in the realm and world of kids ministry. I mean, when, when we were together at Willow, I mean, you, you were just championing the, the content and the curriculum. And I remember even just the way that you were approaching it was wildly different than anything I had experienced in other spaces. Where did this um, desire actually come out of for you? What was a big moment for me was when I was in seminary and I got connected to Fuller Youth Institute and they were early in what became the Sticky Faith Project, which many of us might be familiar with, about those youth group seniors across the college transition. And I was like a research assistant. I coded data. We were in a meeting once. And this was also at the same time Christian Smith's stuff came out on moralistic therapeutic deism. So 0809. And so everyone's talking about that. Everyone's all abuzz about his findings our youth group students fall right in line with the same thing, this moralistic understanding of what their faith is about. They have do's and don'ts on lists. They manage those lists. They think that is the point of faith, to be good at list management, to be more good, less bad, right? To be what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. So all of that's happening in the research project that I get to be part of, and I'm right in the thick of seminary, and I'm still a kid's pastor, And it just struck me hard in a meeting I can still remember that those lists were provided in Sunday school long before these kids were youth group teens. We gave it to them by telling them exactly how to be courageous like David or to be courageous like Joshua or to be courageous like, I mean, we just kept telling them to be be brave in the world. We didn't give them any space for when they were afraid. We didn't tell them God would be with them then. We made the humans heroes over and over again. And so, of course, they don't know how God feels when they make mistakes. Of course, they don't know if God can be dependent on when life is falling apart. We haven't told them stories that tell them that. And so they have no conclusions to draw, but that when life is hard, I must not have managed my lists well enough. And that was heartbreaking. And so that was really the beginning. And then being able to kind of stay close to kids' ministry off and on for almost 25 years now— we started testing some of this on the ground. And so Willa was the most poignant example because the whole team was in line together to say, what if we basically blew up the model we created that the country copies that says that we teach kids, what should you know about the Bible? And so what does that mean for you? And we tell them that for them. They don't get to discover it, right? And then they had, now what? And we would tell the kids what to do that week, ideally. And that sold, churches bought it. I mean, and then it was that team. Some of them wrote that stuff 
And they were the ones that were like, no, we got to blow it up. Wow. And that was when I came in. I was invited in as part of those people saying, we got to blow up our own model and do something new so that kids can actually have more space to meet God. I, rem- I remember um, you, you were shortly on staff and we were in an off-site retreat and you came and you unpacked like the state of like kids ministry and like what, like you, it was like the early inklings probably and stuff that you had, had, had gleaned from FYI, your own research and all of this stuff. And I, I just remember, I was like, um, what is she doing in kids ministry? Like she's so stinking smart. But then, but then secondly, I was like, oh, this, this is a problem because we don't know what to do and it's kind of like, all right, we just, you know, we just got to have enough volunteers. We, you know, we just got to like make sure that the kids are okay between nine and, you know, 10, 10. We can't go over 70 minutes and then be back at 11 to do that to 12, 10. Like, and content, you just almost kept following to the, to the bottom of what was most important. And then you're like, okay, per kid, we only have like 40 cents. So this is amount of goldfish we can have and stickers and that. And I felt like you you and the team were like blowing this whole thing up and began to say, okay, we're going to start with who the hero is and the content and the curriculum. And what's been fun again, like, um, and I want to get to your book, Woven, because you, you really unpack this in, in so many ways, but it might be like semantics. And I think this is where a lot of senior pastors, lead pastors might think, hey, okay, it's just semantics, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're talking about David's courageous. You're talking about, you know, Joshua's courageous. You know, it's guy Jathani had taught, you know, with, you know, it's like we, we had been taught what we do for God, but not actually how to do stuff with God or with Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's been so amazing to me and as a communicator, as a preacher, to follow you and watch how you take stories and go, hey, this is how it was taught. And then sometimes people will even be like, hey, how would you teach this? And then you like talk about it. And it's, it's been so unbelievable because I'm like, oh my goodness, the subconscious implications that we have given our kids, we yeah. think we're teaching courage, but we're teaching this gospel of sin management. Yeah. Um, talk about how you stumbled into that. And ha- like, because there's a framework I imagine you have to go through to go, how do I not fall into these do's and don'ts? And how am I actually shaping a content curriculum and teaching in a way that is really giving our students and our adults, because you teach the adults as well, a more resilient, grounded, deeper, wider faith? Yeah. I think one of the questions you're asking is, what is most important for a kid to know? Yeah. Because one of the trends that is a few decades deep in ministry to young people is that if a Christian should know it someday— then it's even better if a kid knows it today. That is, I do not believe, the best way to approach growing faith as kids grow up. Our better approach is what does a kid need to know? But then I am gonna circle back later as they grow and I'm gonna layer on. I'm gonna add nuance. I'm gonna go deeper. I'm not gonna heap it all on them at once to memorize now, but then assume they'll get meaning out of it later. I'm gonna give them things that have meaning to them now, and then I'll give them new things later on. And so that piece of what do they most need to know, I think is a big question to be thinking through. I think the list is largely too long. I think it's too information-driven often, and I think it is too human-centered. We think that in order to make 
faith and the Bible relevant to children, they need it to be based on a person they can see the actions of that they could either copy or not copy, right? The humans are the heroes. But if we instead make a pivot, we can do less content and shorter so that we actually meet them where they are in terms of their real life engagement and attention span. And then we practice what I call God-centered storytelling, which is simply to say that God is a active participant in this story we want to explore with the kid. What do we learn about who God is or what God's like? That's our big question. And with a kid, you pick one possible answer to that and tell the story to hope to highlight that one. If there are five in the story, cool. Tell it five times, one at a time. Yeah. And that gives way more space for kids to ask questions or interrupt, which, I mean, if you are in a ministry where a person is on stage entertaining for 40 minutes with kids, you can never invite their interruptions. But interruptions are where it's at. Because they're going to tell you when it's weird or doesn't make sense or why did that happen or what's going on. But you have to have your main goal be, I hope kids discover this one thing about who God is. Mm -hmm. And after I help them see that, then I want to give them space to respond to that. But response is not, go and do this thing I've told you to do. Prescribed application is not the way to have things be relevant. Relevance comes from, so God is with you when you're afraid, right? Here's our David story again, right? David's afraid to face Goliath because who wouldn't be? And what he knew, what he says himself is that he knows God will be with him. So responses are things like, when do you need to know that God will be with you this week? Does that ever feel like God isn't with you? When is that? Tell me about that. Is it easy or hard for you to believe God is with you all the time? Why? Questions without right or wrong answers that let kids tell their stories and be sharing where they're actually at. Do you know somebody who needs to know God is with them? How might you be away you know, showing, showing that on behalf of God's love for them? And, and so there's this gamut of responses available to kids that are not a prescribed application yeah. that start from, we have God-centered storytelling and we explore a story looking for who God is. And then we give kids the chance to respond to it. And that communication strategy, that style of storytelling is wildly relevant to children yeah. because yeah. every experience we have we find in scripture, we can bring to life every emotion, every question. There's a way to help say, it kind of reminds me of this story. And then scripture and faith and God, they're relevant. And I didn't have to tell a kid exactly what to do tomorrow. It's kind of how Jesus did it too. Let me tell you a story, you know, like, and just, how does that, um, how did that change the way that you prepared your volunteers? Because in many ways, I would imagine you're setting the table for more dialogue and conversation rather than, all right, here's prescribed application. Yes. And for some, that was challenging because the historic model was prescribed application. And as a volunteer, it meant the following week, you could ask if the child participated in that application and how did it go? This took a longer view of formation. This made the goal, we want our kids to meet God and discover what God is like rather than do the thing that we've sort of highlighted for them. And so it meant that we would even at a curriculum level, give them a one paragraph summary of the story where we told them the story through the lens of that attribute we'd be highlighting. Hey, notice how the Israelites felt this or this person felt that, how God said this or how the Bible says that. That's what we wanna call kids' attention to today. 
it also meant our curriculum got simpler and shorter. So when I first came on, I think it was a packet of like somewhere between like six and eight pages. And we went to a single double-sided sheet. And a big part of that was we want more space for kids to speak up and talk and participate. And so we're going to give you less stuff because you're not going to talk as much. And then within that, there was more variety in recognizing learning style, which I think is something that uh, kids and youth folks understand that gets lost as people get older. And we ask them all to become auditory learners who sit still. And I get the privilege when I'm with kids to be like, oh, y'all want to jump while you talk? (laughs) Or like, hey, here's a whole bunch of wiki sticks. Why don't you bend them all around on this page? (laughs) And what's funny is because our church does some of these things, right? So two weeks ago, we gave all our adults wiki sticks and a finger labyrinth template and had them like put them on and do some finger labyrinth responses. And they don't know that I'm like, oh, I totally did this with our fifth and sixth graders. (laughs) And yet movement, right? And practice. And that's a response space. Hey, take your finger through this labyrinth and ask God this question and see what comes up, right? Because you trust the Holy Spirit in that process in a huge way. What's amazing is this was really helpful for me, even in my uh, development as a communicator. I, you know, I would see some of the ways and I'd hear these stories when I was at Willow of like some of the stuff that you and the team were like doing and kind of this uh, ways to draw out, um, the kids and dialogue and conversation. And, and, you know, and, and I was like, oh man, that's amazing. Like the ways that you guys are flipping the classroom in so many ways. And, you know, it's been fun in the spaces that I'm at is not just to have a prop on stage, but now how do I give the prop to the, to the community and interact with? And, and one of the ones I I gave the room, all bunch of Play-Doh and just say, Hey, like, how are you feeling? and shape it and form it. And then I just had a mic and I just, I had, and the stories at which people were like describing, what, what is that? Oh, it's a, it's a well. Oh, is it filled with water? Like, is it, it's dry. There's nothing in it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how you feel. Oh, mm-hmm. tell me more. And it was like, mm-hmm. this person now is like teaching this community. And it just, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is the stuff that Meredith and the team are doing with kids. But the resonance that it had with adults as well. Um, you know, you, you mentioned, and and it's this word obedience. Yeah. Um, and and in your in your book, Woven, um, you talk a lot about how obedience for many of us was the goal of Christian parenting. Absolutely. We want obedient kids. We want to raise good kids. Yes. And and it and and you say that, you know, in a sense of like, yeah, I, I want my kid to be good. You know of what I mean? Like we, want, we want good kids, right? Of course. But but talk about the the effects of this this pressure on parents and pressure that the subconscious pressure that we're putting on our our kids teams and volunteer like yeah. we have to create good obedient kids. Um I know that there's some good stuff that can come out of that. Of course. There's some good stuff. They, they listen. They, they, they're respectful in some ways. They're kind. But talk about like some of the spots where you're like, man, this is, this is the side that we have not given attention to and the effects. Yeah. The problem with raising good kids is how much of that gets marked by behaviors that they engage in or don't engage in. Yeah then we label those behaviors, obedient or disobedient. 
And it neglects the inner life of a child and the way they are coming to know the Holy Spirit's voice for them. It neglects the way grace gives us time and doesn't ask for perfection. And we also don't always remember that for children, they want to please the most trusted adults in their life. And so they will do whatever that person asks as best they can, which means that it can sometimes short circuit them getting to know God because they really want to make sure their parent is happy with them. And they will replace their understanding of God with the parent. It's just developmental growth as a young person. And so they'll think that God thinks of them, whatever the parent thinks of them, about how they act. And of course, what happens is we say, obedience is all through the Bible. God talks about how God wants us to obey. And my push, especially with kids, but I think it's true of all of us, obedience is a secondary response. It flows from trust. And what's more, God goes first to establish that God is trustworthy. Then people find that they are going to choose to trust. And then comes the time when they say, what does that mean for how I act, how I live, how I speak, how I treat other people? Yeah. But we've jumped with kids straight to obedience. Well, since we know we want that outcome, it's just fine that we don't spend time telling them stories of God going first, give them time to decide if God is trustworthy. We know that the end goal is obedience, but I don't actually think God's goal for us is obedience. I think God's goal for all of us is trust. Trust. Wow. Wow. You, you, I, I, it's amazing because, you know, the same people who preach grace are some of the best in the world at perfecting works. You know what I mean? In the sense of prescribed application, this is what you have to do, this is da, 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 da. And it's almost like bypassing trust. It's yeah. bypassing, bypassing, you know, um, God as the hero and putting it like, all on us. Yeah. And, you know, in Woven, you, you, you kind of break this down from moving away from like a brick by brick to a strand by strand kind of um, understanding. Talk about like the heart of Woven, what you're trying to do, and, and especially the, that, I, I, that spider web analogy. Yeah. I hate spider webs. I hate spiders. I really <laughs> wanted a different image to make this go. But if... If we work in construction metaphors, childhood is often for giving kids a foundation. You hear that all the time. Oh, we're trying to give kids a foundation for their faith. And we assume that we lay a foundation by telling them stuff that we know they just need to know or giving them experiences we know they need to have. And then they they build on that foundation brick by brick. And those bricks might be doctrines they need to understand and assent to. Those bricks might be an amount of biblical stories that they need to be familiar with. Those bricks might be an amount of religious practices that they've had the chance to uh, participate in, church attendance or camp or uh, musical worship, the gamut. But we kind of hand kids each brick and they build it up. And then we think that when they are teens and into adults, they've got this strong, unshakable structure of a faith that is ready to uh, withstand the world. That's kind of the way that metaphor will play forward. But then of course, when a young person becomes an adult and they don't agree with something anymore, they gotta take that brick out. They go through a crisis 
and they don't experience God being all the things God was promised to be for them. And those bricks come out and eventually it topples and they look in the rubble and it's like, I ain't gonna be able to rebuild this thing. And that is what a lot of folks are feeling now of all ages when it comes to re-examining their faith. It feels like the walls crumbled. When you look at a spider, they come to the habitat that is uniquely their own and they have anchor threads. So it's a particular type of silk even that anchors from point to point, creates this strong tension between, and then they do another anchor and another anchor. Then they weave the internal threads with a different silk that creates a completely unique texture and structure to their web that will then be their home and their protection and their nourishment. It's suited to their environment, but also it is flexible. It is remarkably strong and it is designed for breakage. A stick falls through, they catch something, strands break and the web isn't ruined. The spider's prepared to reweave in those spaces we could have a faith where we anchor to who God is, attribute by attribute. And as we lean into the reality that God is not simple, then sometimes on the one side is going to be God's abundant grace. And on the other side, holding tension with that thread will be God's justice. And sometime will be God's personal nearness to us on one side. And on the other side, holding tension will be God's moving to the margins for those who are most vulnerable. And so we anchored who God is, but then every family, every kid, they get their own internal threads. Your family's internal threads that make up your web of faith. Your children's internal threads that make up their web of faith. They get to be uniquely their own. What y'all do to create space to connect with God and get to know God and respond to God is gonna be totally different than what we do. Maybe we do a couple things in common, but on the whole, like we're gonna have a Miller vibe and y'all are gonna have a Carter vibe. <laughs> Even as we're anchoring to our God is good, our God is joyful, our God is just. And so much of what goes into a construction metaphor assumes a one-size-fits-all plan. We're all following the same blueprints. Your kids should be doing devotions every dinner time, and my kids should be devo doing devotions every dinner time, and you should be leading those, and my husband Curtis should be leading those. And it should be half an hour, and they should be sitting still because that's how they learn to be you know, obedient and respectful we're not one size fits all and we're not following the same blueprints to build immovable structures. Yeah. We are weaving webs that would be resilient and adaptable and even able to deal with breakage that comes from changing beliefs and understanding God and going through crisis. And woven faith becomes a far more resilient faith than constructed faith. I, well, you just said something that I thought, um, something that the spider expects the spider expects to reweave yes and i think that there's something in in many of us growing up that in the subconscious what we kind of got from kids ministry student ministry and even you know listening to our pastors teach um on the weekends and the adult services was you do this and you won't have to reweave like right you, you know and and what you're saying is Hey, the breakage is going to come. It's inevitable. And, but you've got to have those anchor strands. Yeah. And then how that uniqueness. And I think that's that's been one of the most uh, 
compelling pieces for me is how do we teach our kids to have this sense of, oh yeah, this is going to be, you're going to have this space to reweave and you're going to get to, this is going to, when you have God as the hero, you have this trust in God, of course you're going to want to reweave. It like you, you, you flip it to make it wildly more invitational and beautiful and, and deep. And, um, but I'm curious though, is like, because most most people who listen to this, I know we have some student pastors. I know we have some kids pastors, but the predominant people who listen to this are teaching pastors and senior pastors, lead pastors. Let's take this concept of construction metaphors, foundations, spider webs. With what you just shared about kids, and what what does every what would you hope every pastor understood about the spider web? metaphor that, man, could transfer over to how they view the weekend and how they're shaping and forming the people that are sitting in their pews or chairs? Yeah. What your adults want is for you to help them make sense of the breakage because they have been trained to think it's failure. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So they can't even begin to imagine reweaving one spot in a web. They think it's all ruined. MIT did this study on literal spiders in their webs. Why are they strong? Two things that were amazing about that. They are strong because of their ability to flex under stress. As a pastor, you can help people develop the ability to flex under stress and help them see how our faith and how our God walks with us through the stress of life in ways that we don't have to get it perfect, and yet there is wisdom. Your ability to help your people discern wisdom is such a better equipping than for them to know how to always act rightly because they've been told so. And the second thing the MIT folks found was that if a spider had to literally reweave an entire web, every time something broke, something tore, they would die. They don't have the energy to do that much. Wow. If you have people in your seats each weekend who think they've failed and it's all ruined and they've got not a strand in place or they're standing in the rubble if they're working out of their construction metaphor— they think that rebuilding is going to kill them. And you are the one to help them know how patient God is, how compassionate God is, how they have time to get to know God anew. And that that can be like a fun, positive, hopeful sort of thing. They often are sitting in places where it all feels like destruction and sorrow. You're the one to remind them that a complex and mysterious God being discovered in new ways and becoming reacquainted with them again and discovering their trustworthiness again is a joy. Yeah. You get to be a hope ambassador to your community as you help equip them for that again. Mm. Well, and I keep saying with this this, this spider web analogy, and again, I, I think what you're saying is just, it has my mind like going a thousand different directions, but it makes me wonder 
how many of us have gotten the anchor strands wrong? I think that's and, true. And and so when you get the hero of the story wrong and you you build that anchor strand on like, okay, did I did I do it right? Did I not do it right? And then all of a sudden that there's that breakage. Yeah. Um and we don't know how to even make room for the breakage. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's these students, these adults, these twenty somethings, these forty somethings just going like, Oh, I I'm I'm the problem. Yeah, I'm the problem. It's not that isn't what God is like. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that is what a preacher gets to do. Every time we preach, we are helping our congregation know this is what God is like. Yes. Or you have heard God's like this. I'm gonna help you see in this text how God isn't like that at all. Yeah. That when we run up against that tension, the first question we get to ask is, wait, am I sure this is what God is like? You're allowed to ask that. And you get to model that in how you preach. Yeah. And that is what you get to offer your people. You are helping them understand what God is really like. And so much of what we take on is we accept a not God, but there's scripture to make it sound like it's God. Yes. And the huge work of preaching is helping people see scripture well to say, this one's really good what God's like. And this is a no God that has hijacked the Bible. And because I want to please God, I've accepted that's what God is like, but actually that was an idol all along. And like all idols do, it is bringing death in my life. Mm. And I get to destroy that idol and come back to who God really is and the life God really offers. But they need your help as a preacher to see it. Well, and, and, and think about this though too, is if you go back to what you were saying is this, this primary word, trust, okay? Mm-hmm. And, I, and the way that I define trust is just um, safety and consistency again and again on repeat. You know, like, are you safe? Absolutely. Are you consistent? Over and over, on repeat, that's going to help you build trust. But let's, let's say that the, the kid or the congregant is looking for who can I trust? And the parent or the kid's pastor or the senior pastor are telling and retelling and restating these not God stories. I like the way that you say that. The, but, they, but that this is the point. And then they try to put that into their actual life as a anchor strand and it doesn't work. Like now, now they're at a a cognitive dissonance of going, it can't be that person because I trust that person. I don't trust this person looking at themselves. Yes. It's me. It's me. Gosh. Um, <laughs> Meredith, you this is this is what happens. This is why I don't call you very much because you always do this. Like <laughs> you, you, you just you like again, there's all these moments where you you um and you, again you do this on Instagram, um, and you, you just have this way, and I and I think that there's a good desire in parents today, and the good desire is they want to teach um their kids to have this sense of resiliency. But if we're really, really honest, the, the, the predominant resources available are teaching obedience. Um, and and that's, that's me saying that, like that's, that's been a lot of my experience. I think what you are offering is, um, and why I think your Instagram account is just blown up overnight is because so many, um, so many pastors, uh, so many parents, um, and if I could just be really, really candid, like, um, because a lot of dudes uh, check out of this. Um, so many women are are tuning in to what you're saying. 
And I think I, I, I think that one, what you are writing is what both women and men need to be reading if they are going to shape and form kids that are resilient and ready for the breakage. But I also think pastors, women and men need to be reading this. Um, I, I, I think that this could be one of those books too, that um, if, if, if it were me and I, I want to get a, a bunch of copies for the parents in my church and, I know we had some text exchanges where I'm like, Meredith, you got to come out and like do a, a training with our, with our parents around this. But I, I really think this could be a really one of those books where a bunch of parents actually um, could read together and, and kind of chop about it. Because even though how you said like team Miller is going to do it a little bit different than team Carter, yeah. but I think that the sense of when parents feel isolated and alone, it's, it's scary. Absolutely. Like, so I, yeah. do you, when you wrote this, like, did you, did you sense like, Hey, this could be really good for, for parents, like a small group to like chop about, like talk about that. Yeah. The way I wrote it was to spend part one, talking a reader through some of the core, like research ideas, education ideas that help shape why a web metaphor is our driving image and what that means we'd be doing. Yep. Um, and so that is the first piece is to be able to give people a shared sense of what kinds of like research and education principles help inform the perspective, right? Because the biggest piece is this, this moralistic faith idea, this idea and, and the way it has failed us is such a big uh, catalyst for we need something more faithful. And yep. so that's the first piece. The second section of the book is a number of chapters that each take one of God's attributes and start to unpack Okay, so we need experiences and traditions and rituals and Bible exploration that would help bring this to life in a family. What are some options for that? So if I was reading this with other parent friends, we're looking at all kinds of suggestions for what that might be. And one of the conversations we'd be invited to have is like, I really like this one. This could be fun for me. And a parent also saying that, oh, I really loved that one. And this could be fun for me. And so this shared sense of together, we are making something completely unique, but that we get to do that together. A huge part of what keeps parents out of the game with their own kids is that they know they're supposed to follow a formula and then they can't do it. So they just turn the kids over to our churches. And they drop them off and say, give them back to me in an hour. You all are professionals. You just do what you're supposed to do. Thanks. But they, if you start to say you get to weave a web that's all your own, but we get to do it together. You're not alone in that. Well, now there's no shame in the fact that I can't follow the formula of devotions and Bible memory verse and perfect bedtime prayers that has been sort of prescribed by the powers that be for so long. I get to both let that burden go and re-enter the idea that we are raising our young people together, which is huge. Yep. Um, to say nothing of the fact that like kids having relationships beyond their family is a huge part of their own faith experience. And so as parents start getting back into talking to each other again and become friends and friends who do faith again, like that is actually also a gift to the kid. Yeah. So that was just a huge piece of what I was hoping for is that, we can let go of, I have to follow a formula and I'm either a good Christian parent because I do or a bad Christian parent because I don't. And we can start moving into a totally different kind of conversation about how our differences are awesome because we're doing internal strands. Yes, yes. 
Well, again, and it's, it's again, one of those things where I'm using the word grace, but I'm actually preaching a formula. Yes. You know what I mean? And if you do this, then you get grace, which is <laughs> the antithesis of grace. And, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. What, you, what you keep kind of identifying is, man, here's the sense of discover and delight and opportunity and connection. Um, I, I remember you you started this little podcast too, the Ask Away podcast. Yes. Um, and and I, I just, I remember like I started like listening to it, it was, you know, it was like 10, 12 minutes and I would hear like the, the, the most just adorable voice of, you know, a six-year-old or an eight-year-old and asking away these questions about God. Talk about that podcast, how it came, because I think it, it, it fits into all of this heartbeat of um, helping these kids break away from the subconscious, you know, yeah. moralistic ideology that we've yeah. kind of begin to preach in our churches. And helping their parents with hearing Bible stories with fresh ears. Yes. So we're telling a Bible story in about 10 minutes. It's me and my kids. And the real reason we started making it is that once our family left Chicago and moved home to California, we started a little church with some friends, but we don't have enough kids for a kid's ministry per se yet. We do some things, but not in the kind of full-blown way. And my kids needed space. We needed to reweave because we had lost the threads of weekly attendance in a super fun kids ministry. Those broke. And what they most liked was they wanted me to paraphrase a Bible story for them. They don't like any kids' Bibles. They just haven't clicked with them. They like when I tell them stories. They do that usually the best in the car. But I noticed as I told them stories in the car, they would interrupt with these really cool questions. And then they thought it was really fun to think about making a podcast and they like that they're hanging out in front of a microphone. <laughs> so I made this for me. This is our internal strands. My kids explore the Bible by helping make a podcast for other kids about the Bible. This was selfish. <laughs> and yet what we found is we've got a bank of about 50-ish Bible stories at this point and a whole series in Christmas, a whole series in Easter. And every time we do our 10 minute Bible story and like two kid listener questions and the things kids wonder are terrific. And a big part of what we model is how many times I answer these kids and say, I don't know, let's guess. Or I don't know, but it might be this or this or this. Yep. Because that is what mature people of faith are often doing about a lot of things. When you say, I don't know, or when you say maybe it's A, B, or C, you are modeling flexible, strong strands. The strength is not in their firmness and their absoluteness. It's in, oh, well, I know God's trustworthy and I wonder about maybe this or this or this. But oh my goodness, they have such such fun questions. My Not just my own kids, but the kids that listen and send stuff in. Yeah. It has been just a blast. And for any kid that is a podcast kind of kid versus a kid's Bible story sort of kid, we just thought, let's make it about the length of how long it takes to leave your house and get to Trader Joe's. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, and here's just some of the titles, Bust the Roof Open, uh, God Makes Breakfast, uh, The Snake One, as named by Eleanor, age six. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just uh, the Christmas story. How weird is it? You know, just these waiting for baby Isaac. Um, and so it's just, they're, they're um, really, really fun. But I think what you'll get to see, um, and, and pastors, you should, you should download this. And just, just to hear her actually embody what she's talking about. And I think, again, 
you can hear a whole bunch of people who have ideas and theories, but I love what she does in, in the, the first part of the book because um, just she and her husband are just brilliant. But they the research that she does, um, that she's done, but then again, giving you ways to see it and try it on. And then if you listen to this podcast, you're going to get to see it in the ways that she interacts with her kids and other kids and the questions. It is just um, – I, it's just a fun. Sometimes when I'm like driving, I'll just, I'll put on an episode or when I'm flying, I'm just like, oh. And then to be honest, there's sometimes when I'm, I know I've got a sermon. Um, I had one, let's see, it was on, um, on the Mayus road. And I just went to your podcast and I was like, oh, what? And then uh, I like came to it. And I was like, I'm totally going to listen to this. Cause I just, it just like, it sparked this little bit of inspiration of like, oh man, this is, it's a little bit of beginner's mind again and mm-hmm. that you are that you've offered up that's helped me as a preacher communicator um friends i'm telling you this book i think it's going to be one of those important um reads if i was a senior pastor um i'd buy it for my whole kids team um i i would actually like challenge my parents and our ministry to read it because the more that your parents can actually get engaged in the life of your kids the more healthy you're going to have as a whole congregation in your church. And, and Meredith, just in her writing, um, who she is, as she just embodies this so, so well. Meredith, where where can people find you? So I'm on Instagram as Meredith Ann Miller. I write on Substack. And um, so that is, I think, substack.com slash Meredith Ann Miller. And then Ask Away Podcast is our other big one. And then I am a guest host on uh, The Bible Binge on a series called I Kid You Not, Growing a Child's Faith When You're a Grown-Up Without All the Answers. So those are my big four. I am not on Twitter, nor threads, nor X, nor what any of those kinds of, I gotta, I gotta keep it simple. Well, this is, this is actually good. Cause I, I'm not, I don't, I haven't uh, subscribed yet to Substack, but that's really good. And then I've listened to a couple of the episodes of I Kid You Not. And I think it's just a classy, catchy title. I love, but just uh, the way that you guys just uh, chop it up there is really, really fun. Thank um, you. The book, what's your, which like, if you could say, Hey, here's my hope. And here's like my prayer for this book, um, because I know writing, it's hard. It's just hard work trying to like take these ideas. And, and, and oftentimes we have like this vision that's like, all right, I'm going to keep writing one more page and fighting through, um, you know, every reason to, to stop. Um, but what, 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 what are you hoping for with this? So the subtitle of the book is nurturing a faith your kid doesn't have to heal from. And pastors, a lot of your parent-aged folks are gone or once a monthers because they aren't sure they trust you to nurture a faith their kid doesn't have to heal from. So they're not going to come on back until they're sure that that's what you're helping them do. And you might not have been the pastor or the church that wounded them, but you do have to be the ones that help care for them afterwards. I want the entire paradigm of how we raise young people to get to know God to flip from this action-oriented list management false gospel to a trust-based paradigm where we're gonna walk with kids as they get to know God and discover if God can be trusted. And we're gonna stop making resources that tell them how to be good kids and we're going to start investing in resources that let them get to know who God is and walk with them as that understanding of God changes, deepens, is even a little bit askew at times over the long haul. 
I, I want the old model to die. And I hope yeah. the book helps have that conversation. Yeah. Because I have a lot of empathy for why people have a tangled up sort of faith that they're not so sure they can hold on to anymore. Yeah. And we can do better for our kids. And I hope this is one of the contributions towards what comes after deconstruction, what helps with reconstruction, um, and what helps with reimagining and moving forward into greater spaces of healing and wholeness and health for the adults and the kids in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Meredith, I I just say, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier with that MIT study with the spider webs. Um, how these how these webs actually nourish, which it takes you a second to think about. Oh wow, yeah, that's right. They and and for many of us pastors, we've we've sat with people who haven't experienced nourishment, but they've experienced hurt and pain at the hands of the local church. And and we've we've probably all had this moment where we've looked at someone and said, Oh, I don't believe that God either. Oh, I don't right. I don't believe that model either. I don't believe. And you, you almost wish you could go back four years, eight years, twenty years. And this is one of those resources that I think is, has the potential really to flip that model. And um, because I've seen you just, just the ways that you, you, you teach your kids, you empower your kids, the way that you, you've, you've written curriculum content, the way, just the way that you, you really bring out the delight and the beauty of the main character of the story, God. Mm-hmm. Um, this has all of that potential. And what's so beautiful is that subtitle is I think four years, eight years. 20 years down the road that a pastor can say, not that's not the God I believe in either is that's the God I believe in too. And I think that's um, what this book woven has the potential to do. And so friends, please, um, you know, I I don't recommend a ton of books, but I just say, Hey, from who I know Meredith to be, um, it's just as wise as they get and um, get the, get this for like your, your key parents in your church and uh, get this for your, your kid staff. And then also senior pastors, read it yourself, please read it yourself and um, watch what it does to, to grow, not just your, your teaching ability, but to grow um, the parents, but also grow and pour into the students and kids in your church. Um, Meredith, thank you so much for being on the Crafting Character Podcast. And friends, thank you for tuning in. Um, feel free uh, to just uh, leave a review, share this episode with maybe one of your your, your favorite kids' pastors, um, buy them a copy of Woven, maybe be that parent who just invites a couple other parents over. Um, and, and really, if you're a guy who listens to this, please don't just hope that your wife reads this. Um, <laughs> Read this yourself. On behalf you of that? so yeah, on behalf of so many women who follow, <laughs> I'm like, a lot of you have a spouse. Where'd the dude go? The, the theological go? work is for all of us. It's so right. It's so right. So, oh. so so please, like both both of you, read it. It's gonna yeah. be, I think, really, really um, just rich for for your relationship, but also for the development of your kids. And um, thanks again to Preaching Today and Food for the Hungry for believing this podcast and helping all of us just get better at the craft of teaching and hoping and ensuring that our character always leads the way. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray.
United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.